You're listening to the Carver Lane Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. I'm a senior tech service engineer, and with me, as always, is the director of technical service for Carbaline, Mr. Paula Jamis. How's it going, Paul? It's going great, Jack. It's great to be here with you again. You know, we're, we're getting into December now, and, you know, things are slowing down a little bit in the industrial paint world. So what, what we're really hoping is, is now you have more time to listen to us. We get to grace your ears with more knowledge. We always say this is a podcast for you, and we want to hear from you, so we want to tell you all of the different ways that you can get a hold of us. You can email us at technicalservice at carboline.com. Put podcast in the subject line, and we'll get you included in a future episode. We're also now on Twitter, so now you can direct message us or tweet at us any questions you have, whether it's podcast or otherwise. Paul, what's our Twitter handle? We are at Carboline Tech on Twitter. So we actually have the whole team monitoring this account so we can answer questions all day, every day. We're there listening for your questions. The other thing we want to talk about is this podcast is not only available in our internal websites, but we are on iTunes and Google. Most of you probably get it that way. But one thing that we want to remind you is that if you subscribe to the podcast, what you do need to do is make sure that the settings on your phone are such that it lets you know when a new podcast has come out. But we're going to tell you this. A new podcast comes out every Monday morning. We will be releasing podcasts every Monday. That includes holidays. So on Christmas morning, yes, there will be a podcast released for you to learn and listen to. And now that we've told you how to get a hold of us, let's talk about one of our brand new products in our product spotlight. One thing we've always heard about in our entire lives, it's its one of the oldest sayings that you probably hear once you get into the work world, and that saying is time equals money. So we're going to spend some time and try to inform you about how Carbazinc 608HB saves you both. So Carbazinc 608HB is a brand new product from Carbaline, a brand new innovative product. What it is, is a phenalkamine epoxy that's got both micaceous iron oxide and zinc in it. This product is conveniently packaged, ready to go, no thinning needed, in a two-pack system. It is a high solids by volume product, to 75% solids by volume. What this means is it allows us to give you a higher film build than you would find in your typical organic zinc product. This allows us to be able to build five to 10 mils in a single coat. That means you can apply 10 mils of this zinc-filled epoxy in one coat. One of the other great benefits of this product being so high in solids is that it's extremely low in VOCs. Carbazinc 608HB is 211 grams per liter VOCs. This means you can pretty much use it everywhere except for the field in Southern California. Along with that, for those HAPS-conscious areas, it comes in at an extremely low 0.21 pounds per solid gallon for HAPS. So what you have here is a great flake-filled primer that is excellent for shop use, not only because of its low HAPS and low VOCs, but it has an extremely quick recoat. That recoat window is a 30-minute recoat window at 75 degrees. That allows for when you're in areas where you're actually paying for time on the ground, like in a dry dock. In the marine industry, 30 minutes you can be back on that surface and putting on the second coat of paint. 
And I think that's one thing that we, we probably need to overemphasize here is, you know, our traditional Carbozinc 859 does have a half hour recoat window, just like the Carbozinc 608 HB. However, that's at three to five mils for the 859. If you were to apply the 859 at the same thickness that you would apply the Carbozinc 608 HB, you're recoat time really is going to be an hour to an hour and a half. So at 10 mils, a half hour recoat time is really a phenomenal feature of the Carbozinc 608 HB. Time equals money. One of the other thing about that is, is since you're able to build this product up to 10 mils in a single coat, you're actually putting more zinc in per square foot. Due to that, you actually have an increased corrosion resistance and you're going to actually be able to get the same kind of performance you would get in a two coat system that you would get in your typical three coat system using an organic zinc epoxy in your earth. What we would normally be looking at is that zinc would be on somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four mils and then you would be applying a second coat of paint so you have all that labor, you have the downtime in between coats while you're waiting for it to dry, and then you're going to put on about another five mils of an epoxy. That brings you up to a range of about 8 to 10 mils, depending on which products you're using. We're going to do that in one coat, in one application, with one dry time. We don't have to wait in between coats because we're doing it in one coat. So not only are you saving labor costs on your intermediate coat, you're also saving material costs because you don't have to buy that epoxy intermediate coat. We've talked about the performance of the Carbazinc 608HB and a urethane versus your traditional zinc epoxy urethane three coat system. But one other thing is, is it actually performs better than the standard two coat coating system, which includes a zinc rich epoxy and then a polysiloxane. We can look at part of that performance increase might be due to the micaceous iron oxide that is filled in the Carbazinc 608HB and to that added dry film thickness that we're able to build in it. In one coat, we're able to get that extra thickness, which adds so much zinc per square foot in that system. So the Carbozinc 608HB really does have increased barrier protection over your standard epoxy zinc primers. This really is an example of primers really are the workhorse of a coating system. Those are the product that is always going to give you that boost in service life. So let's talk about that a little bit and, and how these primers actually work, specifically the 608HB. The Carbozinc 608HB is loaded with both zinc filler and micaceous iron oxide. Some people call that MIO. These two metals are platelet shaped when you look at them at a microscopic level. And this is really important because how these work is these platelets lay on top of each other in a non-uniform kind of way, creating a longer path for anything that would cause corrosion to get through the coating into the substrate. One way to think about this is like a pile of leaves. None of the leaves are stacked up on top of each other. They're always offset. And so if you had, let's just say, a bonfire started in your backyard and you were trying to put it out, you're going to spray it down with some water and it's going to take a long time for that water to travel back and forth across the surface of all of those leaves as they're stacked up sitting there. It's going to take a long time to get that water to the bottom to actually put the fire out. It's the same thing we have here. We're trying to prevent the movement of a liquid, usually water, through the coating system, preventing it to get from the substrate. 
That's what those plates do. This is why traditional zinc primers are, are so productive in the corrosion preventative market. So when you have the increased corrosion protection performance that the 608HB provides, you're able to go with a more economical top coat like a standard aliphatic polyurethane. And what happens there is when you look at this system now, you have a zinc-rich primer with an aliphatic polyurethane as your two-coat system in the same rough thickness as a zinc-rich primer and a polysiloxane. However, since you're building most of your system with that workhorse, that primer, you bring in the same corrosion protection at a much lower cost. This is a perfect example of time is money, money is money. And when we're able to put a more cost-effective top coat, we're able to save money on this system altogether. Now, if you wanted the true Cadillac of a two-coat system, then you would actually do the CarboZinc 608HB and a polysiloxane top coat. You know, I don't want to take anything away from the polysiloxane top coat because you'll get longer weathering and performance characteristics than you would over your standard aliphatic polyurethane. That's that's still true, but that's that's a little bit more of a, a Cadillac system as compared to a standard system that's meant to, to be a workhorse. So what we've got here in CarboZinc 608HB is we have a product that's going to save you time and money because it's going to let you build a high build 8 to 10 mil coating with a fast recoat with a long recoat window 90, degree, 90 days. It's going to give you a 35 degree application temperature when you need it. It's got a high zinc load. It has low VOC and low HAPS. It kind of checks off all the boxes. This is truly one of our innovative products here at Carboline. I'm really looking forward to getting this out there and seeing all the uses that we can have for this product. We are truly looking with this one to be able to increase productivity and decrease expenditures. Paul, now it's time for our next segment. And, you know, we've been calling this the Ask a Tech Service Engineer a question segment, but that doesn't really flow off one's tongue. No, no, that is, it's a stumbler. It is, uh, you know, not quite how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood kind of tongue twister. Wow, I got through that. But it it needs a better name. So we, we're going to challenge you guys out there. You know, all four of you listen to this thing. We want to hear from you. Give us an idea for a better name for this segment. So contact us at technical service at carboline.com podcast. You can even put segment title in the subject line for this one. That way we know where to find it. You can tweet it to us. Remember, we are on Twitter. Carbol at Carboline Tech. We're also at Jack at Carboline Tech Service. Carboline TS. And at Paul Carbo TS. You can hit us up in any of those ways. And the winner, you know, if we select your name, the winner will get absolutely nothing. They get a they get a a daily supply of free answers and information from us. Alright, so anyway, now it's time for our insert new name segment. Hey, this is Tim from Birmingham. I wanted to ask, as the weather is currently changing, how do low temperatures at night adversely affect cure and film formation? 
Thanks. Well, now I know Tim has been spending a lot of those nights up, you know, just grieving the recent loss of uh, Auburn to Georgia in the SEC <laughs> National Championship game. So he's probably been having a lot of time to ponder what those cold nights now uh, down there in Birmingham. He's been monitoring those temperatures as they dip down colder and colder each night. As he cries himself to sleep on his wee pillow. <laughs> <laughs> So, how does that temperature really affect the cure? Well, it slows it down. Yeah. One of the things that we need to look at is what kind of products that we're using is going to be dependent on how much it's slowed down. And some of the points that we take into consideration when we do this is make sure that we're talking about the surface temperature and not just the air temperature. Well, let's hold up. Let's, let's back up a little bit. Like we, we should all know by now the temperature does have a huge effect on coatings. The hotter it is, the faster stuff will cure, the colder it is, the slower it'll cure. And that really is dependent on what type of coating that you have. So then now, once we know that we've selected a coating that's going to do better and we know that the colder temperatures are a variable. Now we really want to be talking about surface temperature. Right. And so some of the considerations with that surface temperature, a big one that a lot of people forget about is, is this structure above ground or below grade? If it's below grade, the earth is a huge heat sink. It doesn't change temperatures very quickly. It's not going to have a dramatic change overnight. So you really need a thermometer that's going to be monitoring the temperature of the surface of that substrate overnight because your steel that's in contact with the buried dirt around it is going to maintain a temperature a lot longer than the air temperature is or for the part of that that tank or that structure that's above grade that'll change pretty quick the other thing that we want to keep in mind is dew point so with dew point you know as you know as the temperature is lower and the moisture and humidity in the air rise you could reach a point where moisture will actually begin to form on the surface and this is can be a problem if you're in the middle of a cure with a coating your coating isn't moisture tolerant during that cure if you're using a phenalkamine or something like that that is tolerant of moisture during its cure you're not going to have as much of a problem with any kind of dew forming on the surface of your steel however if you're using something like a, a polyurethane or or, or know, a vinyl ester that can have effects of moisture then you can end up with miscatalyzed materials and you know i don't want to upset the, the chemists out there not cured materials um the what could happen is with your polyurethanes is the isocyanates in them can actually react with that moisture causing the part a not to be able to react with those isocyanates also, with any kind of vinyl esters, that, that's a big no-no. It'll actually halt the cure of a vinyl ester and it'll never recover. That's right. And one of the things, as long as we're talking about the re interaction of the moisture and the carbon dioxide, when you drop into these temperatures, coatings that sometimes don't have amine blush pro propensity will show it when we drop into these cold temperatures because it gives you more free moisture in the air and these amines that are free in the still curing film are going to interact and cause an amine blush on the surface. It's not a problem. You just wash that off the next day, but it is something to be aware of that may affect the appearance of what you see the next day. With most coatings, there's a minimum cure temperature. Now, what that temperature usually is, is a minimum temperature that's required for the cure mechanism of the coating to proceed. If you drop below that minimum temperature, with most coatings, it's not necessarily the end of the world. It just means any of that time that you spend 
below that minimum cure temperature doesn't count towards your total cure time. So when these products are going through the, their cure mechanism, the molecules inside the coating are moving around and trying to fit together. This happens faster and more readily at higher temperatures, and it slows to a point that's almost unmeasurable when we get below those temperatures and it gets colder. So you're right, Jack, it doesn't stop, it just slows to such a point that we really can't measure it anymore, and it doesn't really count towards the full time of cure. When we talk about these cure processes, it really is a cumulative cure time that we're looking for. So if something says 12 hours at 75 degrees for cure, we're talking about a cumulative 12 hours at 75 degrees. And that does have a sliding scale, so it's gonna take a little longer if it's 60 degrees, a little longer if it's 50. And then frequently when you get down below 50 or near 35 in some cases, those times just really are so long that they're not worth counting. Basically, when we take a look at our, our cure times here and you have a certain amount of hours that are below your minimum cure time, we basically have to throw everything out the window. You can take a cumulative guess based on hours that you had above that minimum temperature, but really the only way to know that your coating is cured is to do a solvent rub test. That's right. The most typical one that most coating companies refer to is the ASTM D5402, which is just a solvent rub test and you talk to your manufacturer and they'll tell you which solvent you should be using. Most frequently it's MEK, but it could be xylene. It might even be water. But what they're gonna do is they're gonna tell you do 25 double rubs or 50 double rubs. And sometimes it's, it's a hardness test. You know, certain coatings will know, hey, if you reach this hardness, it is definitely cured. But the most common one will be that solvent rub test. The way to know if your coating is even ready for that solvent rub test would be to do a thumb twist test. Right, the thumb twist test is a common one, especially when you're looking at a recoat. Is it ready to put a second coat of, a, of paint on top of it? Thumb twist test is an easy indicator. And basically to perform that thumb twist test, you just wanna take your thumb, put it on the surface, put a little bit of pressure and twist. And the result you wanna see is you want the coating to be unaffected by that application. Right. And there is an ASTM for that. It's ASTM D1640. If anybody needs it to be able to review it and look and it, it gives you a little bit of a quantification as to how to, how to hard to press and what to measure. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. Once again, we do this for you. So we want to hear from you. We want ideas from you not just segment title ideas, but things you want to talk about. This one came from a longtime listener and first time caller and Tim, but, um, you know, help us help you send us in, contact us at technical service at carboline.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Carboline tech is our Twitter handle. Hit us up. We're there. We're listening. We're waiting for you. Okay. So we have a new outro for you guys. Many years ago in a galaxy, not so far away, a Carboline theme song was recorded. This song was written by Steve Harrison, and I think even Jeff Schmucker had a little bit of uh, something to do with the writing of this song. We have a little snippet that we're going to play pretty much at the end of every episode until somebody tells us, hey, we're sick of it or whatever, because we personally like it. So with that, we're going to leave you guys with who put the line in Carboline? Thanks, and until next time, have a good one. Who put the light in carbon? Who put the light in carbon?
Bye-bye.